Welcome to the Well Community Church Podcast. For more information on us and our mission to help people connect to God and to each other in every neighborhood, check us out at thewellcommunity.org or on our app, The Well Friends. Good morning by morning. Great is your faithfulness to me. There's something good about not just singing that in my car by myself, but singing that with a body, right? With you together as the church and proclaiming what we know to be true. Uh, and it's appropriate as we're opening up the book of Joshua now for our, our fourth message in this series that we're talking about being faithful to a faithful God. That is the theme really of the book of Joshua in so many ways of uh, what God is teaching his people back in that day and age and and what he's even teaching us now. So I invite you, if you've got your Bible with you, open up to Joshua chapter one. And we're gonna find ourselves finishing now this this first chapter. We're looking at verses 10 through 18 together. Um, If I have not had the pleasure to meet you yet, my name is Mike, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the well and it is my great pleasure to pick up where we left off. And if you maybe are new to the well or maybe even new to the things of God, if you've kind of donned our doors for the first time, we are thrilled that you are here uh, and we're basically rolling through what we do so many times at the well, just through a book of the Bible and gleaning from it, from God's word, as Chase said, what this means to us. And this last three weeks as we've journeyed through, really, we started in Genesis and kind of painted the picture moving up into this book of this faithful God, a God who is is, um, not safe, but he is good, as Brad mentioned a few weeks ago. A God who keeps his promises of land and descendants and blessing to Abraham way back in the day, who led his people out of the the, the, the picture of bondage in Egypt that they were in, who, who cared for them in the desert for over 400 years. And we see these miraculous victories at the hands of these kings that they are called to defeat as they make their way into the promised land. And as we open up now to Joshua chapter one, kind of midway through in verse 10 and following, we saw this last week a, a reminder to Joshua before they do anything. He's reminded to be strong and courageous, to, to put his faith and his trust in the, in the God of the word. Uh, but ultimately it's the word of God that instructs him as to how to do that. And Brad mentioned last week as we turn to the word, to meditate, to read, to to study, to discuss, like it's the word of God who instructs us, or that instructs us about the character and the nature of the God that we serve. But the question really remains for Joshua, he's heard these things, he's been admonished to to respond in in faith and encouraged and to be strong in the midst of the fear uh, and the adversity that was certainly before them, but the question remains, will he? Uh, He's been asked to, but the question that we need to answer tonight really is, will he move forward with that? Because as James said, even so faith that has no works is dead. Uh, He's going to need to demonstrate his belief in God by an action. He's got to step up and he's got to lead now this people into the territory that God has for them. So that's really where we find ourselves in the story. So in verse 10, let's pick up there. Let's read now Joshua's response to this this message from the Lord, this encouragement to, to lead strong. It says in verse 10, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days, you were to cross this Jordan, to go into it, to possess the land, which the Lord, your God is giving you to possess it. All right. How'd he do? Did he respond well? hundred percent. Hey, people, prepare provisions. We're going. In three days, we are going to cross this Jordan into this land that our God is giving us. 
There is clarity, there is conviction, there is belief in what God is saying. Uh, and by the way, Joshua hasn't been told exactly how they're gonna do that. He's told back up in verse one, hey, Joshua, you're gonna do this, you're gonna cross the Jordan, but he doesn't know how God's gonna do that. Now he was around for the, the Red Sea crossing, he's one of the few of the older generation that was, was there present with Moses when that happened. So he knows of the stories and what God can do, but God has not yet told him exactly how that's gonna be. He says, trust me, walk with me. I will be with you in this process. And by the way, as God so often does throughout our entire Bible, God is going to pick the most difficult season that there would be to cross the Jordan River. We're going to see in chapter 5 that they actually make it over during the Passover, which is in the spring, in March or April, when the Jordan would have been at flood stage, maybe 200 yards or up to maybe even a mile wide at this time. So God's going to stack the deck against himself as he so often does and says, let me make this as difficult as possible, so to speak, to show my power and to show what I can do. And as you even notice the beginning now of, of Joshua's kind of public leadership, as he steps up now for the first time into this place, so many um, similarities between Moses and Joshua as they venture into leadership. Both encountered obstacles at the onset of their, their kind of ministries that were just huge, right? With Moses, it was a Red Sea. For Joshua, now it's going to be the Jordan River. Both way too significant for human solutions to, to fix this problem. And God is asking, I think, just as he did with Moses, for, for Joshua now to be in a place of dependence and trust on him, exactly where he got, wants Joshua to be. Joshua, you don't know how this is going to work. And in your human power, this simply does not make sense. But if you will be in dependence with me, if you'll trust me, if you'll lean on me and know that I am with you, I will bring you to the end of your rope so that you will find me. And I will do what I said I will do. I will be faithful. So many times in life we find ourselves there, right? Just to the end of all possible manners and means that we can use to, to solve problems in life. And God says, that's great. Mike, that's where I want to meet you. If you'll trust me, allow me to walk through that with you. I will show up and be faithful in your life. Uh, and that's exactly where God has Joshua in this moment. And he tells his people, you prepare provisions. The manna has not yet ceased. It will here in a couple more chapters uh, that they've been eating now for 40 years. God's miraculous provision for them. That's going to cease. And he knows that's coming. So he says, get ready. We're going to cross over. And when we get to the other side, we need to be ready to go. And I want you to notice now, after he provides clarity to the people, after he has clearly said, hey, y'all, this is what we're about. God has told us to do this, and we are going to move forward in faith as he's instructed us. He turns now to a specific group of tribes, two and a half tribes specifically, in verses 12 and following. He says this to them, to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God gives you rest and, you will, give, and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but you shall cross before your brothers in battle array. All your valiant warriors shall help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he gives you. And they also will possess the land which your Lord, the Lord your God is giving them. They shall then, or sorry, then you shall return to your own land, possess that which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. So he addresses now these three very specific tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. And we find out in verses 14 and 15 that these particular tribes settled in what verses, these verses say, beyond the Jordan, or beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise, i.e. the east side of the Jordan River. Um, 
We call that Transjordan maybe in, in modern language. But these three tribes did not go to the west side. They stayed over on the east side. As you remember, even from the, the map that we looked at a couple weeks ago uh, in our study, uh, kind of that greenish area up here is the land where uh, God had given the people. And, and nine and a half tribes basically settle on that side of the Jordan River. But that kind of pinkish lavender Forgive me, I've got like a, a crayon box of eight colors, and if it doesn't fit in red or pink, I, I have no idea. So that color that's not teal, uh, that other one, uh, is where these tribes settled Transjordan. Now the question is, how did they get there? And it's actually a very important part of, of, of why the story is so important. This journey as to how these tribes that, that Joshua is now calling to remember a promise uh, is very, very important. It's covered actually in the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy. Uh, they are headed into the promised land, as you remember kind of this journey coming into this point. Uh, and God had shut down the route coming in from the north, which would have been the easiest route, just to walk right in from Kadesh Barnea, where they sent out the spies years ago, just to walk straight in. And God said, we're, we're actually not going to go that way. And the easiest way is they've been kind of doing hot laps in the desert now for 40 years. It's just to head straight over to the east, kind of go underneath the Dead Sea, and then head up north, right up to the other side of the Jordan River. And they're going to cross over a land that's owned by the Edomites. The Edomites are like uh, their third cousins. Edom uh, comes from Esau. That's the, the nation that they, they originated from, that individual Jacob's brother way back in, uh, in the book of Genesis. So they come to these people and they say, hey, can we have passage through your land? Will you just give us safe passage as we kind of take the easy way and cut across kind of this mountain chain? And the Edomites say, no, in fact, hard no. And they in fact said, if you'll come and try to cross, we will meet you with swords. Uh, so they end up having to go the long way around instead of going straight across. They have to dip all the way south, uh, part that's not even on the map that we're looking at, all the way down uh, to, to ultimately get across. And God happens to say in this instance something very interesting about this situation. Listen to this in Deuteronomy. He describes the land that the Edomites possess. He says to the people, you will pass through the territory of your brothers, the sons of Esau, who are in Sire, that's the Edomites, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not provoke them, for I will not give you any of their land, even as a little as a footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. God says to this pagan nation who worships a different God, the land that they live in, I actually have given it to them. It is their land. And do not mess with them. Do not provoke them to battle, because I will not give you their land. Well, after they move through Edom, they've got to move north through another territory called Moab. And God says exactly the same thing with the Moabites as he does with the Edomites. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 9, the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab, nor provoke them to war, for I will give you, I will not give you rather, any of the land as a possession, because I have given to the sons of Lot, uh, that as a possession. Again, God says to this pagan land, even the land that they occupy as a sovereign God, I have allowed them to exist in. Now that isn't always the case with all the nations around them. I want you to turn now back, keep your finger in Joshua. We're going to return there, but I want you to go to Numbers chapter 21. And as we were kind of surveying through this book, the first couple of weeks that we were in it, Brad kind of water skied across the top of it, so to speak. We need to scuba dive maybe a little bit deeper to find out kind of the backstory behind that. Numbers chapter 21 is, again, the Israelites are crossing over, getting into the place that they are now on the east side of the Jordan River, getting ready to cross in, uh, but their journey up there wasn't near as simple as maybe we would expect. Numbers chapter 21, starting in verse 21, says, Israel's then sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites. Remember that guy? Big, strong, tough king. He was a giant as we meet him in the land. They ask him, 
Let me pass through your land. We will not turn off into field or vineyard. We will not drink your water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through. Hey, we know we're not like buddies, but will you give a safe passage through your land? Just as they asked the Edomites and the Moabites, they now ask Sihon, king uh, of the Amorites. And their answer, his answer specifically, is recorded for us in chapter 21, verse 23. But Sihon would not permit Israel to pass through his border. So Sihon gathered all his people and went out against Israel in the wilderness and came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. So they don't say no and say, hey, back off. They say no and they initiate a battle. Uh, Israel didn't come for a fight. They simply wanted to pass through their land. So God says, okay. If that's how you guys want to play it, if you don't want to be friendly, if you don't necessarily want to allow these people just to pass through and you're going to take down the offensive, God is going to step up and defend his people. And in verse 24, this is the result. Israel struck him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok. That's the pink territory on the map that we just looked at. On the east side of the Jordan River, that's where Sihon and his buddy Og, as we meet here in verses 33 and following, where they lived. And they do the same thing to Og that they do to Sihon. In verse 33, they turned and went up by the way of Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, went out with all his people for the battle of Edri. But the Lord said to Moses, do not fear him. I have given him into your hand and all his people and all his land. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites who lived in Heshbon. It's the same story again. Israel's looking for safe passage. They get a hard no from these men. They are met in battle now, and God is faced to to deal with that and protect his people from these two kings who, again, are described in the book of Deuteronomy as having coffins, by the way, that are 13 and a half feet long. That's a pretty big coffin. Uh, Giants, no doubt, in the land. And God defends his people. Um, And I want you to remember these two individuals, Sihon and Og, because their stories are not insignificant. They're going to play greatly into the text, in fact, that we're going to read this very next week. And what's happening here is this isn't some lamb grab. God is not stepping in and stealing land from these people. Uh, Their story is incredibly important in terms of what God is doing, big picture. But this now brings us to Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. I want you to turn forward in the book of Numbers to chapter 32. And look again uh, at this situation. So after this land has been won, after the battles have been uh, taking place in here in Sihon and Og and their territories have been occupied by Israel, they now, Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh turn to Moses and say, we'd like this land. Chapter 32, verse 5. They said to Moses, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. We want to stay on this side. Now, this initially catches Moses off guard. His, his response is, is pretty interesting in verse 6 and following. Read this. But Moses said to the sons of Gad and to the sons of Reuben, shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves sit here? Now, why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land which the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see or to spy the land. So Moses equates this this asking for this land that's on the east side of the Jordan River with an act of... um, 
unfaithfulness, just like when they sent the spies into the land from Kadesh Barnea, and those men came with, back with a bad report. Uh, Joshua and Caleb were the two that were with them that actually brought the good report. These other 10 spies said, no, 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 there's giants in the land, we can't possibly overcome them, let's run away in fear and terror, so to speak, and they discouraged the people from doing what God had asked them to do. By not going into the land, by saying you don't want to go over, you are doing the exact same thing. This is not a minor thing to Moses. He is, he's frustrated in this moment. Now I want you to look in verse 16 at their response. And Moses gives them a pretty long uh, tongue lashing, so to speak. Uh, but in verse 16, they, they respond. They came near to him. And they said, hey, hey, we will build our sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place. While our little ones lived in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land, we will not return to our homes until every one of the sons of Israel has possessed his inheritance. They say, listen, Moses, no, no, no. We've got a misunderstanding here. We're not going to stay here and not come fight. We're going to park our families. We're going to set up shop here. But when you say it's time to go, or better yet, when Joshua says it's time to go, we're ready to go. We will cross the Jordan with our brothers. Those are our brothers. That is our God. We are 100% in. So is Moses now has a, tech, a second to kind of take a breath and breathe and hear their response, he says, okay. In verse 20, Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you'll arm yourselves before the Lord for war, and you and all of your armed men will cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be free of your obligation to the Lord and to Israel, and this land shall be yours for possession before the Lord. So Moses says, okay, I misunderstood your intentions at the beginning, but if you're fully in and we're all brothers here and you're going to cross over the Jordan with us and you're going to fight and you're going to keep fighting until we've cleared out the land as God has told us to do, then I'm okay with that. That, 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 that honors the heart of God. So go back now to Joshua chapter 1. This is the promise that Joshua is referencing. He's saying, guys, listen, you made a promise to Moses before he died uh, that if and when this time came for us to cross the Jordan, you would come over and fight with us. And even though Moses is dead, your promise did not die with him. Your promise was toward the Lord we see in verse 22 and towards Israel in the text that we just read. So will these tribes now honor the word that they have given to Moses? Will they honor that with Joshua? Joshua 1 verse 16. They answered Joshua saying, all that you have commanded us to do and wherever you send us, sorry, all that you commanded us to do, we will do it all, uh, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words in all that uh, you command him shall be put to death only be strong and courageous. So they say, 100%, we're in. We issued this promise to Moses. We understand that he's dead, but as, as God was with Moses, we understand that he is with you. Joshua, be strong and courageous. This refrain that we have heard over and over from the mouth of God, not just to Joshua, but also to Moses and also to all the people, he has said to them, be strong and courageous. I am with you. So these men step up and say, we are 100% in, and they remind Joshua in such a beautiful way, only be strong and courageous. 
Uh, Be what God has called you to be. Be our leader. Walk in faith. Be faithful to a faithful God. So in summary, as we look at chapter one, as it concludes, Joshua, God's new appointed leader, he believes God, he believes his promise that God will be with him, and he walks in obedience. He takes these commands in chapter one to be strong and courageous, and he puts shoe leather on them. He lives those out. He says, Lord, I gotta step up, and I gotta lead in your strength, and in in my own humility, I'm dependent upon you, but, but I'm in. And these two and a half tribes remain faithful to their promise to Moses. They too believe God's promises. Both Joshua and these tribes are being faithful to their faithful God. It's a beautiful picture of trust in a good and gracious God. The question remains for us, uh, why is this here? Why do we spend a week talking about, about this? Like, what's in this for the, the people of God today? This happened 3,500 years ago. Are we called to go clear out the land? Are we called to go to do battle? Is that the instruction that God has for us? One of the questions that we often ask in teaching team as we get together as men and women in a room and discuss the text and where we're going is, what is in this? What, what is, what is the, the gospel? How, how do we understand that through the, the lens of Jesus as, as New Testament believers? Because if Paul's right, and I think he is, when he says all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuke, and for training in righteousness, then this text has something in that for us as well. Uh, This story, as we look at it, actually fits within a much bigger story about what God is up to with his people. It's why we have been so intentional about starting in the book of Genesis as we're talking about Joshua and helping to understand the, the whole picture of what God is doing with his people. And I want to offer to you maybe a hint that we see of what God is up to and what he is leading his people into back in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 13 and in verse 15 as well. I want you to notice what he tells his people. He says, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you saying, the Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Again in verse 15, until the Lord gives your brothers rest as he gives to you. God is leading his people somewhere, but the somewhere isn't necessarily the ultimate destination. It is the fulfillment of the promise of land that he has offered his people, but there's something so much greater than just a a physical piece of land. He's saying what I am offering to you, if you will walk with a faithful and good God, is rest. Now rest assured, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's gonna be rose petal paths. They've gotta walk into a land. They've gotta go to battle. They've gotta go do hard things, difficult things, things that we're gonna have uh, trouble even walking through and understanding the fullness of it. God is not promising them the easy life. He's not saying it's gonna be a cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination. But he is saying if you will walk with me, if you will trust me, there is rest to be found in me in that situation. Rest like you have never had before. So although they have to walk through this situation, God is saying, I will be with you, start to finish, thick and thin, no matter what, I will be your God. And again, as we think about the big picture story with these people, I just want to remind you again where they have been. They have just left 430 years of being slaves to a terrible master in Egypt. They have been in bondage in great difficulty. They cried out to God for deliverance, knowing that there was nothing that they could do to remove themselves from that situation. And the beautiful picture of this story that we hear is that in the book of Exodus, it's recorded that God heard their groanings, that God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and it says it took, he took notice of them. 
In fact, they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and had seen their affliction. This God that they cried out to for deliverance, who was the only one who could possibly remove them from this bondage they were in, this God cares. He loves them. He hears their, their cries and their groanings. He says, I'm going to deliver you. And he does just that. As we know the story, God raised up in that season a deliverer to bring them out of bondage. And he executed his judgments against all the, the, the gods of Egypt, right? The, the lowercase g gods to demonstrate his power. He leads his people out of oppression, out of bondage. They cross over the Red Sea. God closes it behind them in this miraculous feat that we have never seen before. As if to say that that season in your life is gone. You will never return to the bondage that you came out of. You are free and you are free to be with me. And then it was like all smooth sailing from there, right? No, it was a 40 years of a hot mess in the wilderness. As they're trying to figure out, how do I do life with God? How do I learn how to be dependent? God, where's my water going to come from and my food and my shelter? And are you going to take care of my kids? And I don't like manna and I don't want another banana manna sandwich. And I'm done with, with your provision for my life. And God, if I'm honest, there are times that I'm looking back to, to Egypt and the the things that we had there, though, yeah, we were slaves and we were in bondage. That, that grass is starting to look really green right now. Number says we remember the fish which we used to eat for free in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions in the garden. Oh, how wonderful it was when we were in bondage and held by a horrible tyrant of a king. Oh, the good old days. And there's a temptation in the lives of these people to say, Lord, I don't like your provision. I don't like how you're managing my life. And I want to, I actually want to go back. And in fact, they did so. Not physically go back, but they went back and worshiped the gods that they knew in the wilderness. They built false idols, gods that they ascribed worth to. They built the golden calf and said, behold, the God that delivered you from the bondage of the Egyptians to a thing that was an earring 20 minutes ago that now is molded into a calf, they worshiped those things. Time and time again, they put their trust in lesser things, things that they thought would bring them delight and glory and goodness and all the things that they hoped for. And yet, they never found that in any of those things. And yet, God continued to be who God was. He was faithful to his promises, to be with them, to provide for them, to forgive them in those moments of waywardness. And God reminded them of where he was taking them, to this promised land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. But to get there, you're gonna have to trust me, God says, in my promises, in my provision, in my character, in my goodness. And you're gonna have to struggle now as you figure out how to do life with me. Does that story sound a little bit familiar? It sounds familiar to me. Because it's my story. And it should sound familiar to you because it's your story. It is the church's story. It is all who name the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. It is our collective story. The story is here in the scriptures, not just to tell us about an event that happened and kings that were conquered and land that we're going to go into. This story isn't a story in scripture, it is the story in scripture. The story of God's redemptive purposes in his people to save a people from sin and suffering. This is the story of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And the Old Testament gives us pictures and shadows and hints of God's heart for his people and what he will continue to do over and over and over again. Just like the Israelites, we found ourselves enslaved to a terrible master. 
Our master was not a physical king, but a spiritual reality in our lives. Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that we were slaves to sin. And sin wasn't just acts that you and I committed. Sin is a part of our DNA. It's a part of our hard wiring. It's a part of the things that have been passed down to us from Adam and Eve, that we have a bent, a nature towards sin. And because we are powerless over sin, there's nothing we can do to come out from underneath its reign. And though King Sin promised freedom and happiness and ultimately brought nothing but pain and and loneliness and death, but God, just like he did with the Israelites, raised up a deliverer. He brought one into our lives because we simply could not save ourselves. As Ephesians says so well, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. Again in Romans, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God brought a deliverer. His name is Jesus Christ. God freed us from the chains of sin that bound us. And he, in a sense, parted the Red Sea in that moment. And we were able, through the power of what God had done in our lives, to pass through it. And he closed that once again forever that we would never have to return to serve empty idols, to go back to that day, to ever return to those things. And yet sometimes... We turn back to those same old ways just like the Israelites did in the desert, longing for those days when things were oh so good in Egypt, that greener grass that looks so tempting now, to serve empty idols that never satisfy, trying to be our own master. We're reminded in the book of Romans that uh, Paul says, thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were formerly committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. God freed us now to a wonderful new master. He didn't free us just for the sake of being free. He freed us so we could follow a new and glorious master in Christ. That we were freed in a sense to follow just like the Israelites, to trust and follow in a faithful God. It's, by the way, one of the reasons we talk about the idea of foundational practices of embracing the gospel so frequently around here. The gospel is not just something that saves us in a point in time, a Red Sea crossing moment in our lives when we understand who Christ is and we are saved and we are freed from the sin because we understand that our trust in God's provision through Christ as he died for our sin and gave us his righteousness. There is a moment where that most certainly happens, but there's a daily hourly, moment-by-moment dependence that we need on Christ, on the gospel, on the Holy Spirit, to walk through this life, to be with him, to trust in him, not to be willless, not to be willful, but to be willing and say, Lord, I want to walk with you in the midst of this. I don't want to return to those old habits in my life and through the Holy Spirit that you've empowered me with, that you've sealed in me as a a guarantee, as as a down payment of your promise in me. I have now that ability within me to walk with you and to quickly confess when I don't, when I'm, when I'm off the rails. You see, gang, this picture is a picture of you and I, and it's a picture of the church, and it's a picture, again, of our faithful God, who's all about the redemptive work in his people. God is saying over and over and over again in the scriptures, he will redeem those whom he loves. And the picture of what we're beginning to learn in Joshua is that God is faithful to those promises. Friends, we call that message around here the gospel, the good news, 
that God brought us to deliver in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. If you're new to church, or if you're new maybe to the teachings of scripture, welcome. This is what we believe around here, that we are fellow sinners in need of grace. We need one who can free us from the bondage of mastery of sin that we for so long were enslaved to. We cannot remove that yoke of slavery ourselves, but God and his gracious goodness to us has done that on our behalf. As he did it with the Israelites of old, he's doing it with the people of God again today. So if you've never met this God, who loves you so much that he can pass over those sins previously committed before him, he is that loving and that wonderful. He has overlooked yours and he can, and he's overlooked mine. If we find ourselves hidden in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we will simply believe. And by the way, that's one of the greatest offers that Jesus gives to us, this idea of rest. When we find our lives hidden in him, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The thing that is, is Americans and is, is, is just men and women in this world, we yearn for rest. Can I encourage you, if you have never put your faith in Christ, this is where true life is found, to rest in the character and nature of God and to rest in the promises of a faithful God who is faithful then and he is faithful now. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your goodness to us and for the stories of your faithfulness that we can turn to and remember how good you have been, how faithful you have been to us. And God, as we look forward in our lives, as we see what you are doing, Father, we are a group of people who desperately need rest, and we will find that in the person of your son. Father, we thank you that that action is complete. It is done. There is nothing that we need to do to earn that. Uh, there's nothing we've done to deserve that. We simply need to respond in belief and trust in what you have already done on our behalf in paying for our sins on the cross through your son. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would walk faithfully with a faithful God, that we would rest in him and that we would trust in him. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for Christ most of all, the hero of our story, the ones that those in the Old Testament looked forward to, and the one now, Father, that we look in our rearview mirror and celebrate the finished work that he accomplished for us on the cross. In whose name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining the Well Community Church Podcast. Be sure to check out thewellcommunity.org or our app, The Well Fresno, for more information on us, ways to connect, service times, and locations.